Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Good Football Show. I'm your host, Patrick Darty, here today with Kyle Dvorak and Patrick Crane, where we will be previewing Thursday night football and some of Week 16's biggest games. That includes the Colts at the Cardinals and the Vikings hosting the Rams. We're going to get stats of the week from Crane. I'm not as officially upping it to more than one, even though some weeks we don't even officially brand one of them. So we're getting stats of the week from Crane. We're going to dive into every fantasy-relevant player. We're probably going to cry a lot. Because that's just kind of like the state of the scene right now. On command. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going, after the season, I'm going to crying on command camp. I've decided that's something I really need to learn. It's a valuable life skill. And I don't even have a pre-prompt question today. Well, can you cry on command? I once like worked up a tear after quite a bit of work. And my girlfriend at the time was then like, how can I trust anything that you do? <laughs> I was like, this took me like a minute. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> No, I can't do it. I've thought about doing it several times on the pod, and it just never quite, never well, quite. Gets can you there. not? Can you do it or not? Because you can't just say, "Well, I've thought about doing." It. I thought about doing a backflip on the pod. Not that I could do one. I think I could do it. Actually, I do think I can do it, but we'll, we'll never find out because it'd be very weird, and I should probably just stop talking about it. Question mark. Just, how's everyone doing? You know, what, by the way, what sport are you guys replacement players in right now? I'm a replacement player currently for the Carolina Hurricanes. Filling in while they have 42 players in the COVID-19 list. What sport are you guys filling in for? Well, I was trying to get signed by the Panthers as the new kicker, but they, they signed this guy from the Washington <laughs> practice squad, so it's a bummer. Pat, Premier League is having some, like, they canceled, like, games last, like, a whole slate of games last week, right? I played high school soccer. I'm, like, very unathletic, too, so it would work out horribly. I fired up our NBC Sports properties to stream some Premier League games, and they were, like, all postponed, but... They did make, at least over there, a rather controversial decision. They are barreling forward with their hashtag festive fixtures, which you can catch on NBC Sports or Peacock. But yeah, I'm also currently playing for the Wolverhampton Wolves. And so I'm doing that and the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm not spending Christmas with my family. I play for Tottenham. Wow. I'm a a center. I'm a center. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Is Tottenham in the Premier League? That would be not my, (laughs) I would assume you would be a midfielder. I don't have, whoa, 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 I am not in a condition to run more than like 
from you know the, the box up until a few feet from midfield. If you ask me to go box to box, I'm not making it on the round trip. I always played midfield. I just assumed you'd be like a messy type with the No, see, I know like you've met me in, in IRL and I have the stature of someone who can score goals and not handle the physical matters of soccer. Like I look like a player who'd be really good at flopping. But the thing is, <laughs> I don't have any like finesse or talent. So I don't want to say I just played as a dirty wow. defensive player, but like I definitely like always led my team in like yellow cards and fouls call. <laughs> I think Karain was saying you have, you seem like you would have quick twitch athleticism. No, I don't though. That's the thing. I have the will to do what others won't. That's funny. I my <laughs> skill in soccer was having like the steam, the stamina, like all I did, my only thing I was good at was going end to end, box to box. Wasn't really good at settling, quote unquote, or passing, quote unquote, or scoring, quote unquote. But I was good at running. I think the reason never panned out is I was attempting to be like a in high school. I was attempting to be like a five foot four enforcer style of player, like <laughs> many enforcers, like the NHL would. They don't really anymore either. But like that was my shtick, and it turns out that being like you know, 112 pounds soaking wet. Like I'm just like pushing up against larger players, like fall over, fall over. That's like, that actually is an archetype though, of like the smaller guy who's just like a pest. That's true. So you, that, oh, that's a good way yeah, to that put is, it. Oh, yeah. that's exactly what I was. I wasn't a physically dominant enforcer. I was a physically nuisance enforcer. Yeah, exactly. You just want to be a that's pest. That's an archetype in basketball as well. Mm-hmm. Big yeah, yeah. I, was, exactly. I would have been like the soccer's Matthew Della Vadova. Exactly. There you go. You just want to get in people's heads. You just want to annoy them. And then if they elbow you and break their jaw, I mean, you get two free throws. So a joke's on them. I mean, sure, your jaw is going to be sewn shut for two months, but you got two free throws and it was all worth it. So there you go. We're all filling in and check us out just in every sport over the weekend. So I'm really hoping to score a Hattie for the Carolina Hurricanes. (laughs) And for Wolverhampton, yeah, I just want to, I want to play 90 plus minutes and have zero passes completed. That's what I'm aiming for for Wolverhampton. (laughs) Back here in the real world, we will begin in Tennessee where points bet has the teetering Titans hosting the surging 49ers as three and a half point home underdogs. The story of the week in Nashville is the wide receiver musical chairs with Julio Jones's hamstring once again injured and AJ Brown cleared to resume practicing and reportedly on track to play Thursday night via NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Kyle, if AJB goes, the question is simple. How high are we going in the wide receiver rankings? And a wide receiver rankings where it just doesn't feel deep right now, probably because the team's going run heavy. Like some years, it feels like there's little difference between wide receiver 12 and like wide receiver 30. This is not one of those years. So how high are we going for AJ Brown? Look, like a, a bright eyed, happy, innocent week nine Kyle is is jamming. AJ Brown in the lineup. <laughs> but the thing is, they, the one I don't, it's another spot where like, I'm not 100% confident he plays through this game, or more importantly, as we saw with Julio Jones coming back in his first game back, he didn't suffer a re injury in the first game back last week, but I believe his second game. He just played a very limited role. He played like half of the team snaps. And we could very well see that for AJ Brown coming off of a pretty lengthy absence into a short week wouldn't surprise me if he comes back and the reports are that he should play, right? It's not that he is 100% back and super healthy. It's that he should be active for this game. So I don't think he's hundred percent healthy. It would make sense for them to limit his snaps in some sense, like they did with Julio Jones in his first game back. And the offense has been atrocious and the offense is 
partially been atrocious because of the absence of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, but they're also just making worse decisions. In the four games before they lost Derrick Henry, they were running play action on 35% of Tannehill's dropbacks. Since they lost Derrick Henry, that's down to 26%. They play a different style of football without Henry, even if we can argue that they should stay a similar style. They haven't, and since they lost Derrick Henry... 18 points per game, 167 passing yards per game, and a negative EPA. So I, you can play him is what I'll say. Would I be playing him if I made the semifinals? You probably don't have to. They're like, he'll fall in that like Gabe Davis, like high upside, but questionable range. Wide receiver, low end three. Pat, am I like too sullen and sad about this situation? You're not sad enough. You need to go through. Oh, no. you, you're you're in this middle ground where you've, you know, you're not bright eyed and bushy tailed, but you're not completely broken to where you're oh. just going, I'm playing AJ Brown. I don't care. I'm ready. I'm ready for pain. Oh. That's where I'm it at. It circles back. It does circle back. He's got a 2.27 yards per route run. He's had a 26% target share this year and a 40% air yard share, which is awesome. But that even understates how involved he's been because he's only run a route on 76% of dropbacks this year because he struggled with injuries. We saw, I mean, the the Julio Jones stuff is obviously, they were managing him in his first game back and then he's injured with a, re-aggravates a hamstring injury. But that's a hamstring injury. He's an older player. I think it's a slightly different situation. AJ Brown's been dealing with his chest injury. They put him on IR, kind of felt like, you know, the, the three week, actually four weeks, because they had a bye week in there, should be enough time for him to be fully recovered. And then on top of that, I think the offensive struggles to some degree, it's a good sign for A.J. Brown in that over the last three weeks, they've thrown for Tannehill has not eclipsed 200 yards in any of the three games. He's been, he threw for, I believe, 93 yards against the Patriots. It's been atrocious. So, you know, not a passing game we're necessarily excited about, but on the other hand, they have to feed A.J. Brown here. They have to. They really have no other choice, and he's he's played great this year. I think the play-action stuff is a real concern. The the run-heavy nature, they're the most run-heavy team in the league by pass rate ever expected. That's a real concern. This game could be a slog because San Francisco is going to want to run. But Tennessee is kind of a pass funnel themselves, so maybe we get San Francisco pushing, then Tennessee has to throw. And compared to a guy like Gabe Davis, like I just want to – I'm broken enough to to just play AJ Brown. I'm I'm ready for the pain. I respect that. I absolutely respect that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm on team jam him in there. Even though I agree that I think in a perfect world they probably wouldn't be playing him this week. I think they were definitely put over the top to play him by the fact that they're in crisis and their offense is just not just on the brink but like over the edge at this point. Like they've gone off the deep end. They mm-hmm. desperately need something to change. But on the other hand, I mean. If he was truly not healthy, I don't think he'd be out there. It's not like it's a lower body injury, thankfully. Maybe a chest, that seems like something that's probably harder to aggravate. I mean, I don't know. It could be an oblique. I don't even know really what it was, but that's not as aggra- aggravatable. Well, plus you can wear like a protective thing if you need to. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Flak jacket so, like, from Call of Duty, yeah. I might. I am doing my wide receiver deep dive this afternoon, and I might end up getting him lower. But, yeah, I mean, I have him as the wide receiver 15. I – Ranked him ahead of Mike Williams. Ranked him ahead of Marquise Brown. Ranked him ahead of the Bengals receivers. DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Hunter Renfro. I don't know. I'm just broken like Pat. And I'm just kind of going for broke. Yeah. I have the Bengals receivers there are interesting because I think one of them would probably be a pretty good bet to outscore him given the matchup. But but which one, though, Pat? Well, which one? You got to pick one. That's why you're doing the rankings. I and I, I haven't done the deep dive yet either. <laughs> so I get the feeling that I might. But... Probably Chase. 
probably Chase. Yeah, he's just got it's weird because like AJ Brown, he's got like the Chase upside, and he I know he's never quite had that safe floor. He he was kind of a floor player for a while last year, where he was getting at least five for seventy every week, and then mixing in the eruptions, the floor was not as stable this year. Yeah, so yeah, it's just so That's hard true. to know what to expect. By the way, on Chase, I know we're not doing this game, but I mean, the, the Ravens are so vulnerable deep. If you're not excited about Jamar Chase this week, I mean, what, are, what are you doing? I kind of forgot they were playing the Ravens. I, I literally said pre-game, I, or pre, pre-game as if this is a game. I said pre-show. I was like, you know, there's some stuff that I know Pat will come research for that he is like, I let him answer. We have prompts, right? And I let him answer them because I know he will research them quite well. And I even said, he's got Jamar Chase's yards per route run tattooed on the inside of his eyelids. Jamar Chase is not on our show sheet and still comes oh, into yeah. the show somehow that's so funny because if you would ask me a player i could throw to crane to and then he would know every single metric for i probably would have said jamar chase too <laughs> even though i don't know i don't know if he's known as like a jamar chase guy it's just jamar is one of those guys where we're always like trying to find like the the differentiating stat like what is really going on he's one of those guys this year and yeah crane always knows his route 14.5 he's gonna beat the ravens deep <laughs> elsewhere on the titans are we officially comfortable with Deontay Foreman? He's emerged triumphant over Dontrell Hilliard. Jeremy McNichols hasn't taken any work from Deontay Foreman. He's a guy we were excited about early in his career before he blew out his Achilles. He seems to be the rare running back to actually come all the way back from that injury. So yeah, are, are we are we excited? Are we safe with Deontay Foreman, let's say, as a top 24 running back? Yeah, that feels pretty fair. Running back pretty scuffed right now lots of like players we would want to be starting are missing and he's seen at least his rushing production continue to go up since that first game without Derrick Henry's clearly taken over as the lead back it's not the best spot against San Francisco but there are not a ton of running backs you can guarantee are getting 15 carries and even his receiving work is passable it's not great but it's sort of like what we saw with Derrick Henry early whereas he's not averaging one catch per game something like one and a half closer to two so he has at least a few targets in his range of outcomes and 15 carries You'd take that this week, I think. It's not the best spot. I think he's worth starting at least as an RB2, though. I think he's probably a little bit game script dependent. I mean, certainly more than Henry was. You're dealing with, you know, Hilliard and McNichols can steal some of those passing downs. He only had 39% of snaps last week, and he was in and out with an injury, but 59% of backfield attempts, which is much stronger. And, you know, there it's like, okay, yeah, the, the injury, but 39% of snaps is pretty low. So you can see how if the game kind of gets away from the Titans – which it totally could, then, you know, you could be, you could be in bad shape. By the way, on Foreman, like, I actually don't know if he's 100% back, but partly, like, I was really excited about him when he came in the league. And it, it feels to me maybe more like a Willis McGahee thing where he, he came back, he had a good career, but he never kind of got to the, like, hyper explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a bad word. Don't say explosion around Willis McGahee. Okay. <laughs> that's probably too, probably too soon, but still maybe the worst oh, injury God. I've ever seen. But we can joke because he came back yeah, in a very nice long career. career. That was honestly like a traumatizing moment. I wasn't even I wasn't even young. I, th- I was already like 15. Yeah, I, I watched that live. That was, yeah. I did too. It was I mean, that was before HD TV. Like that it was, was traumatizing. traumatizing. That was really bad. So Willis, we're really glad that you still carved out a really, really nice NFL career. On the other side of the ball, looks like Elijah Mitchell's missing another game for the 49ers. Things can change. The Niners are weird as injuries. Could be gamesmanship. Maybe he actually will come back. But he had yet to resume practicing as of Wednesday afternoon. Oh, I, I zoned I, out in the middle of this. You're talking about Elijah Mitchell? Yeah. They ruled him out like minutes before we got on. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah, so he's officially out. Yeah, he's officially out. 
the Titans are kind of a pass funnel defense, Kyle. We know, though, that the 49ers are run-based. They did make an adjustment against the Bengals a few weeks ago and started passing when they needed to. But how do we feel about Jeff Wilson and this 49ers rushing attack against the Titans defense that defends the rush really well? They're low upside carries for Jeff Wilson. You're just hoping for a touchdown that doesn't really ever come because he's not the goal line back. A wide receiver is the goal line back. So how do we feel about Jeff Wilson? I actually feel much better about Jeff Wilson heading into this coming week than I did last week because he was the Deonta Foreman style, even more so, very game script dependent. They're a good offense that typically puts out an efficient rushing attack, but if they get behind, you're getting 12 carries for 36 yards, no touchdowns, and that's the day. And that wasn't the case last week. He actually ran 16 routes to Jermichael Hastie's one. That wasn't the entirety of the story. Kyle Juszczyk also got in for, I think, eight routes. But he was more involved as the team's third down, passing down style back than we had ever seen previously. Even if that only results in a floor of two to three targets, three or four, maybe even, that is, I mean, that's exponentially more than what we thought. We thought the floor was zero targets last week. So given how they used him last week, I'm not sure if we can guarantee that happens this week, but now we know it's possible. So to me, that makes it so the rushing, which should be there, is a good amount of production. The receiving note gives him a floor and ceiling combination, frankly, that makes him, I'd say like he would have been... 50-50 with Deonta Foreman, same style of back. If last week hadn't happened, I would say rank them both as low-end RB2s. I'm pretty comfortable pushing him into the top 20 now pretty pretty easily. Yeah, I agree. What in the world is Jeff Wilson's oyster? The the Samuel stuff's a little bit of a a bummer, but... You know, yeah, yeah. When I when I count the routes and the the carries, it doesn't include the fact that Samuel does essentially play as the team's backup running back. But it's still he plays as the goal line back. I mean, yeah. even it's like kind of like non traditional goal line backs. A lot of them are like eleven and twelve yard carries, but they send them in motion at the twelve yard line. He easily finds mm-hmm. the edge and then he scores. But I don't know. I mean, if they were at if it was like third and goal at the one or second and I agree. Goal at the one or whatever, they're gonna run no, no, twice. Debo. Like Debo. Uh, I think they're no, going right. Wilson. It's Jeff Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. It's it's true. But I was saying they never even get there. Yeah, Debo's, Debo's too, too good. good. He gets the edge. Yeah. He gets the edge every single time. I've never seen anything like it. It's really, really crazy. He can't keep getting away with this, except like for he totally keeps can. getting away He's with very it. Good. <laughs> we I think he actually really totally can. Real quick to close this out on the 49ers. Is Brandon Ayuk falling out of the top 24? It was one catch for 36 yards last week, 62 yards or fewer in three straight games. Do we have to adjust expectations back down for Brandon Ayuk? I think so. I mean, he, he seemed to be coming on kind of in the midseason there after he like fully cleared the doghouse and there was, you know, he's running all the routes. And by the way, he still is. He was a 100% route rate last week. So that's great. He's like kind of the traditional wide receiver one with Debo in this hybrid role. But of course, Kittle's basically the, the top receiver in the offense right now. And then Debo's still really good. They use him. I mean, Debo on the season, even with this running back stuff, Still has a 2.82 yards per route run. He's he's been hyper efficient. Kittle's at 2.81. I mean, both these guys are like breaking yards per route run. Ayuk's at 1.49. And you know, if you kind of like tilt it, like if you think he's probably better than that, but I don't think he's like a anywhere close to kind of an elite yards per route run player. He's probably at this point like in the kind of like the Van Jefferson mix, you know, like in the. Ooh. 
Yeah, yeah. actually, it's right where I'm. Yeah, I feel like I have to like Mia Culpa a little bit for giving Kyle Shanahan so much guff over giving him the doghouse treatment, which probably was incorrect. But I think the season has kind of showed us that, yeah, that's who he is. Should he have been playing a full time role early in the season? Yeah. I still think that's probably correct. But was like, were we wrong for saying your alpha number one receiver first round pick should be getting 10 targets a game? Yeah, he probably isn't the player that we were hoping he would be. I mean, Jawan. I mean, he should be getting six to seven, I feel like. Which I, he Yeah, is, I agree. You know. But we were, I was really throwing Shanahan under the bus, whereas he deserves some flack for that. But Ayuk's not a, a killer, I think. That's pretty clear after getting out-targeted by Jawan. Ayuk should have been running all the routes, I think, is that, you know, and then it's like, let. <laughs> Maybe it just wouldn't have made yeah, much. Yeah, that's difference. the thing. It might not have because Kittle, I mean, in Ayuk's defense, Kittle is so good and Debo is so good that it's tough yes. to earn targets, you know, when you're going up against those guys as target competition. I think that might be more what it is, is that he's playing behind two all-world guys. And I don't know if we quite knew how truly good Debo Samuel is. I mean, we did. We, we knew that Debo Samuel time, yeah. was like a good NFL player, but I don't think any of us foresaw this like next step, this next And year. I think with Debo, like we underestimated him, at least I did, because of the ADOT stuff, because – a lot of times we saw him in this, the role that he's in now, but we didn't realize that, you know, and by the way, he was awesome, hyper efficient in that role through two seasons. And he'd struggle with injury a little bit last year, but then he gets the chance to be a traditional wide receiver and he's a revelation. He was basically if Curtis Samuel actually existed last year mm -hmm. and Curtis Samuel, by the way, I still, I keep using the word allegedly on the Washington football team for Curtis Samuel. Cause I don't actually believe it. I think it's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> That he is, and yeah, just the only way to put a bow in this game as a fantasy community. And Brandon Ayuk, I would say in the beginning of the season, we were big mad, we were big, big mad. And like Kyle said, maybe we should have been a little more introspective. Mm. And Trent Sherfield was playing over him and stuff, yeah, yeah, you never mind. I'm still big mad, still big mad about that. The Green Bay Packers welcome the Cleveland Browns to the great north as seven point home favorites on Christmas Day. The COVID depleted Browns will be operating. On a short week, as the Packers jockey for playoff position, Crane, part of that is figuring out what to do with their backfield touches, which continues to trend more towards like a near-even committee between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Kyle and I say we expected you to have Jamar Chase numbers. I definitely always expect you to have A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones numbers. What is going on here in this Packers backfield? Well, we saw it move more towards Aaron Jones this past week. He had 62% of the snaps. 65% of the backfield attempts. A.J. Dillon down to 37% of snaps, 35% of the attempts. It's kind of going the other way. So it's it looks like the, the previous week it had gone the other way in favor of Dillon. It looks like over the last two weeks, actually kind of what we expected when we'd have them both back, that it's like a 1A, 1B situation. I think the, the kind of the nuance here is that if we're going to have games like the Ravens, where it's like, you know, a back and forth game, the team is actually pushing them. You know, the Packers actually have to be fun, God forbid. So then you're going to want Aaron Jones. If you're in a situation, most likely like we're in this week, where they're going to get a big lead and they're going to salt away the game against the Browns team that's been struggling, and you know, I, we still don't really know what's going to happen with the quarterback, then I think you want Dylan. You just want, you know, the second half Dylan game is, is what you're playing for. Probably Aaron Jones leading the way in the first half, and then you're betting – with Dylan that he's just, you know, dominating snap share down the stretch. I saw a lot of nodding. So I'm pretty sure I, I agree with that take too. And Karane, that wasn't Brandon's a stat of the week, but I think we got some stats of the week in there about the backfield trending back towards Aaron Jones. So I'm going to put that down for the sponsors as one of the stats of the week. 
Who are our sponsors for the stats of the week? Me. I, I sponsor it. I pay ten dollars a week. I was. <laughs> this is totally off the rails, but I was watching a. There's a documentary about the Dana Carvey show, and as a bit, they did like ta- the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show because they just like thought it was funny to have this like incredibly overt sponsored, and then they like changed it. But the show got like can- completely canceled after eight episodes. To the point where they their last sponsor was like this Szechuan restaurant that they ordered from a lot. Of New That's York. pretty much who is sponsoring our stat of the week. Yeah, we have some sort of <laughs> That's bond. That's where we're at right There's now. There's got to be a bond. Me restaurant sponsoring the stat of the week. Occurring. <laughs> yeah, There's a little, so many of those in Brooklyn. So I think we're going to work on that. Crane, you kind of described a run heavy approach for the Packers this week. Aaron Rodgers, he's been the QB one by average points. Over the past five weeks, I feel like he's kind of the safest bet at QB1 overall right now just because of the chaos around him. I mean, Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers kind of felt like the safest to me this week. So you have Josh Allen playing the Patriots. You have Kyler Murray. I don't really know what's going on there. Matthew Stafford maybe in the mix for QB1. Jalen Hurts, Tom Brady. So I kind of like almost am defaulting into Aaron Jones as the Q- Aaron, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers as the QB one right now. Is that a mistake for week 16? I, I think it probably is just because of the, Great. the pass rates or not the pass rate stuff, the, the, uh, the pace stuff that we're dealing with the Packers. I mentioned in the walkthrough last week that, and just be, you know, I got to add a little flair to it. So you can't just go, the Packers are leaving the least amount of time on the playcock in every situation. I, I had to break it all down, but yes, they are. In fact, no matter what you do, you know, whether they're leading, whether they're trailing, you know, on their opening drives, they have the lowest remaining seconds left on the play clock. They're just bleeding the clock whenever they have the ball. And when you're looking at how this game sets up with Cleveland, you know, that Cleveland's going to want to run the ball. They're not going to want to pass a lot. The Packers, are, I think, are quite willing once they have a lead to establish the run. They're pass heavy, you know, pass are expected. They, they do have a positive rate, but that's because. They know how to win the game is through Rodgers, but but they're not like necessarily pouring it on. So I don't know if you if you want to like bet on the six points per passing touchdown or something in your league, like you know if that's your then sure. But in those four point per passing touchdown leagues, give me give me someone else and give me a little more rushing upside. Yeah, the hot streak that you're talking about too. They got pushed by the Ravens. They fell behind early to the Bears, so actually had to throw a bunch. Had that back and forth game with the Rams. It wasn't really a back and forth game with the Rams. They kind of dominated the Rams, didn't they? The game where they lost. Yeah, they I think dominated. The, the Rams put up garbage yeah. time points, and that's why it looks like a the game where close. they lost to the Vikings. So yeah, they had actually had to push the pace more than expected. So that's a really good point. It's just it's a fallout zone at QB though this week. Like there's just big time question marks for so many of the guys. Usually in the mix, I mean Patrick Mahomes, we don't know if either Tyreek Hill or Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey is going to play. So it's a tough, tough scene there. It's okay again talking about the run heavy, pass heavy. I'll switch to you on this, Kyle. I mean, I was going to say, is there any wide receiver three juice for Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who in very un-MVS fashion is averaging eight targets over his past four games? He's actually getting volume, and he's been pushing kind of for that valuation for weeks now. And do you consider MVS a wide receiver three? He is right now on the COVID list. That is correct. Is he really? <laughs> what yeah that happened like a day or two ago i mean so it's it's difficult to I'm, i didn't know that either. i am i mean i'm literally but i i have some question 
<laughs> I know. No, there is every single day you're like missing some sort of play. This happened last week with OBJ. Every time I get in the live streams a question about a player that like was not on the radar, I just immediately to default to I missed some news because it's been just a slog of all slogs this year to keep up with the news. Right now he's on the COVID list. He was I on the COVID list as of late Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, he's yeah. In fact uh, on the COVID-19 list. So never mind. Maybe I'm wrong. He could still come back, although it seems unlikely because even with the relaxed COVID rules, like he still has to get past having COVID-19, whether or not he's vaccinated. So like I would say it's highly unlikely he plays this week, despite the new slightly relaxed rules. Alan Lazard would be the next player up. They're also without Randall Cobb right now. I remember, is Cobb done for the years? He's just done for the regular season. So I know he thinks he's on IR. I think they're holding out hope he's back for the playoffs. But either way, they don't have him beyond that. They're moving to like the almost practice, like almost practice squad players or they're like, you know, Amari Rogers has just returned punch to them this year. So it would have to be Lazard who steps up. Does he have wide receiver three juice? I'm not entirely sure because we oftentimes don't even see the, well, wide receiver two is out. Wide receiver three gets 20% bump in target share or whatever. We don't see that. Some teams do just default to the next man up. That's not always the case though. So does he have wide receiver three potential? In fact, he has like high end wide receiver two or wide receiver 77 potential. There's just two lanes that you can go through <laughs> because outside of Devonte, the guys they go to, like, especially without Randall Cobb are either like useless tight end Josiah Degura targets or bombs to Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard still plays a, a typical deep role oftentimes would expect that from him in this game does that mean he gets there not entirely sure can you play him yeah just no you get one of two outcomes and I think you're more likely to get the wide receiver 76 outcome just because of how ambiguous and like if he were able to do the all like full-time deep threat 100 air yards a week thing they would be doing it Marquez Valdez-Scantling isn't a world beater Marquez Valdez-Scantling is fine in his role, but the fact that he can't beat out Marquez Valdez-Scantling for that makes me think he's not a particularly notable piece of the offense, even with MBS out. So if you are desperate, and there will be teams that are desperate this week despite making the semifinals, I think he's perfectly fine, and he at least gives you a decent amount of upside, which you'll need to beat the Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup teams. So yeah, I apologize for not knowing. I don't know how that does not usually happen, but I guess... Oh, you don't keep track of the 77 I say, players I guess that are that added each day? It's just a sign of the times, I suppose. And yeah. I checked... Pat, I hate to tell you this, but you're fired. <laughs> Pat, I hate to tell you this, but you've been added to the COVID I, list. <laughs> yes. And so I checked which Browns were back so far. Kevin Stefanski is back. Austin Hooper is back. No word yet on Baker Mayfield or Jarvis Landry. Are we any Browns here or is this just avoid at all costs situation against you know, a really tough Packers defense? Should we just in any sort of tiebreak situation, play the person who is not on the Cleveland Browns, unless their name is Nick Chubb. Is Peoples Jones on the COVID list? He is not. Well, he, he is not. He had a 29% target rate last week, which is pretty nice. <laughs> and David Njoku, by the way, ran around on 97% of dropbacks. So that was pretty cool. And he almost scored a touchdown, which is what he's always done his entire career, is almost do things and then not actually do them. Yeah, with Hooper back, too. Yeah. There's just no point in going back to him. Although, if we were ever to see Hooper out again, uh, or if he lands on a new team, like Pat and I talked about last week, he's super excited. He's like always high yards per target, yards per route run, just has never gotten the chance. But with Hooper back, he won't get the chance. So ignore him. He's basically third string Kyle Pitts. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Kyle Pitts is and only second string Kyle Pitts anyways. I was thinking the other day, like, is David Njoku, maybe could he be like a Martellus Bennett type? Or he was just, Martellus Bennett you know, was famously stuck behind. Yeah, Jericho. Well, Martellus Bennett was different because he was stuck behind like an all pro and Jason Witten and just could not get on the field. But I mean, David Njoku has not been stuck behind all pros. And 
he's just the classic for every time he flashes something, then he like loses a fumble or drops a touchdown. Yeah. He could and be our generation's Gary Barnett. He could. Jared Cook. Jared Cook. Like he is. It would be a Jared Cook type career arc. That would be a really good outcome for David and Joe. And it wouldn't be the first time it happens. As we know, this just happens at tight end. And like a lot of times, like the physical freaks get there and they've never had to be like great. Like it's a finer points position tight end. There's so many finer points of being an NFL tight end. It just takes a long time. Yeah. Maybe he can get on that Jared cook career arc. And that would be a really, really good outcome for David and Joku points bet as the dazed and confused Arizona Cardinals heading home as one point favorites against the Colts after suffering one of the worst losses by any team all season in week 15 in Detroit. Kyle, I'll just ask the simple question. What in the world happened? Was this just a speed bump for the Cardinals? Or are we getting concerned moving forward for a team that did not play well down the stretch last year either? I'd argue it's a pothole because speed bumps you usually see coming. They're, you know, lined in yellow. So you go over them nice and slow and easy. Really, really good. Potholes, either you swerve around them and go off the road (laughs) or you hit them and destroy every part of your car. And this felt like a very unforeseen circumstance. I, I tend to think, though, it is unforeseen, but something they will get past. I mean, we saw this with the Bills for the most part. They had the terrible game versus the Jags. They also lost subsequently to the Patriots, but also another like very obviously weird game. And we've since seen them be perfectly fine, I think. So I, I do think this is most likely to be nothing, a sort of blip on the radar in a weird NFL season. What would be? More weird than Detroit winning again, although they cover at an outstanding rate. This is a team that Dan... They're champions. They're They're champions. Champions against the spread, which is not worth much to the NFL players, legally speaking. They play with heart. They have a pet line on the field. Dan Campbell's got these guys (laughs) They play every snap with 22 kneecaps, and their opponents are entering with 14 at most, frankly. So (laughs) not that they're a really good team. I think maybe the only obvious concern is that first game without DeAndre Hopkins and the offense looks pretty stagnant. But the thing is, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't dominant up to that point. It was his worst. Well, and he missed. They'd played a lot of time without him, too. So I thought they would just hit the ground running without him, and that has not happened. I tend to think it's a blip, but that is the one thing that would be the concern. But as you said, they played without him before. Some of those were also like Colt McCoy games or whatever, so it's hard to read into them too much. But they had mostly been fine dealing with a a rotation of receivers. This one, they used Antoine Wesley as the replacement to DeAndre. Hopkins, which seems just beyond egregious. He ran more routes than AJ Green. So I think that is probably the one obvious point is when you sub in a practice squad player for DeAndre Hopkins, even the depleted version of DeAndre Hopkins, who has worst target share since his second season in the NFL, like seven or six years ago, that is a, a pretty big sink on the offense. Do I think they will ever for the rest of the season look as bad as they did against Detroit? I, I think that would be an outlier event. I mean, it's kind of a trap game situation, I think, right? I love the pothole analogy. Because, you know, when you hit the pothole, you often think you did more damage than you did, you know? So <laughs> that's a really good, we're, we're taking it deeper. And you deeper know, it here. feels like terrible. It. You think you really screwed up the whole car, but actually you're probably fine. You probably just keep on going down the road. And if you look at Kyler Murray, he imploded last week. He was 31st in EPA per play, but he still leads the league in completion percentage over expected this season. He leads the league. He's going to be fine. We mentioned Colt McCoy. You know, if you can win games with Colt McCoy at quarterback, you can win games without DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver. They'll they'll find a way to get over this. And there's also kind of a situation with Goff where I'd mentioned this repeatedly in the walkthrough. I even I think I talked about last week how I was like extremely uncomfortable talking about how I thought Jared Goff was due for some positive regression heading into the matchup with the Cardinals. 
my take was we got the positive regression. We're good. I don't, I have, I can no longer tout Jared Goff because he's going to, he's going to get beat up by the Cardinals, which is obviously <laughs> the wrong time to get off it. But he was, he's been accurate this season. Goff has been pretty accurate all season. He's just been really, really inefficient. And I think with, you know, perhaps with Amon Ross St. Brown, him having this connection or just the ability to just pepper a, a guy shallowly with targets, which is what he wants to do. You know, it just so happened to be the case that I think they kind of hit Goff when he actually finally had a really good game. He was quarterback two in EPA per play last week. So I'm not taking too much away from the Lions game. I think, you know, obviously they're going to kind of burn the tape and move on. But Murray, like to me, I'd, I'd rather play Murray this week than Aaron Rodgers because you're probably in a situation where the Colts are going to be pushing the Cardinals because they can be efficient on the ground. The Cardinals are a run funnel. Jonathan Taylor is going to put up points on them. And then you've got Kyler throwing on the other side. You get the rushing and you get the bounce back spot. I'm still very in on Kyler. So with the receivers, Pat, Christian Kirk, nine catches for 94 yards and a touchdown against the Lions. AJ Green, four of eight for 64 yards. Zach Ertz, six of 11 for 74 yards. Zach Ertz has 18 targets, 11 catches on 18 targets over his past two games. Is it pretty much they're the big three right now? Rondell Moore out with injury, joining DeAndre Hopkins on the sideline. What had been kind of like a sprawling, difficult to decipher target tree is that just now kind of one of the league's narrower. You know, we throw in the running backs too, and it's easier to project. These guys are still like wide receiver two adjacent, and Zach Ertz maybe moving up the tight end one ranks a little bit. Yeah, I mean Zach Ertz ran around on ninety one percent of dropbacks. That's elite. You know, that's a that's a you know, it's kind of like the Logan Thomas situation. Dawson Knox is up there this year, and. It's like when you're when you're running that many routes in an elite offense, I doesn't it honestly just doesn't matter who you are if you're at a, if you're the tight end. You know, like we we've been playing we played John Bates in DFS this year because we thought he was gonna run a ton of routes. Like <laughs> when you get up to this level of routes, it really it doesn't matter. And Zach Ertz has been okay this year. You know, he's, he's been pretty solid for the Cardinals who targeted him 23% of his routes last week. Very good. So I think Ertz very much in play, and then Christian Kirk. Ran around on 98% of dropbacks last week. I think this Wesley stuff is good for Kirk because I think Green is better than Wesley. So if Wesley is playing ahead of Green, which he did last week, 83% route rate to 68%, then where else are the targets going to go when it's Christian Kirk and Antoine Wesley and Zach Ertz? Like it's either going to, to Ertz or, or Kirk. You know, there's really not a third option. It just helps with the target competition for Kirk, I think. And Wesley's just kind of like, He's like a Jalen Guyton type where he's going to be doing stuff like, although he's kind of slow. So I don't even, I don't understand it. You can't make me explain it. Cliff's, Cliff's doing some weird stuff, but, but he's just there to run around. Maybe AJ Green, maybe AJ was just a little banged up last week. And, but yeah, maybe. You made an interesting point, by the way, on Zach Ertz, Pat, where I think Zach Ertz and Rob Gronkowski are kind of reminding people this year, like, tight end is a really, really physical position. And you can maybe have an entire year where you just look like a gear mm-hmm. slower. So Zach Ertz just looked slow last year, but he still wasn't even 30 years old yet. Gronk still looked a little slower and both seem like they've had new life this year. It's just such a tough demanding physical position that maybe we should be careful to bury people after one bad year when they're like 28. I guess the Eagles buried him by trading him. I've never had more but... fun than touting Zach Ertz all summer because it was it was quite clear, like the the visceral nausea from everyone that I talked to about it was <laughs> was always fun. <laughs> Kyle, the Colts 
mean, talk about narrow offenses. It's Jonathan Taylor. Then I guess I guess Michael Pittman still. That's gonna be the question. Michael Pittman, he's the wide receiver 39 by average half PPR points over the past five weeks. He hasn't scored in six games. Carson Wentz is passing less often. When he does pass, it seems like he's passing worse than he did earlier in the season. How do we regard Michael Pittman for the fantasy semifinals? Yeah, it feels like we're at a pretty difficult spot with Pittman because if you were to tell me that they were playing, I don't know, the the Bucks away or something, like a, a spot where they were obviously, I think they actually did play the Bucks away recently. Maybe it was, it was actually at home. But if you're telling me they play the Bucks, where the Bucks are going to put up a ton of points and everything is going to be back and forth, back and forth, I would say, yeah, at that point, there is an argument to play Pittman, an argument to play Wentz. When you look at his past six games, Wentz has gone over, like, he's gone over one touchdown twice. They were in games where he, his team gave up 38 and 30 points. Every other game, his, def- his team's defense has played well, and of course, Jonathan Taylor has crushed, and he doesn't throw the ball much. It doesn't give him any opportunities for touchdowns, and we know that Pittman isn't the only player who can score. Like They've been throwing red zone targets to Zach Pascal and Mo Cox, and Jonathan Taylor can score as a receiver as well, so when you aren't capturing like a Devontae Adams-level share of the offense, it's really difficult when all your team wants to do is run the football and you can do it so well. Like over his past six or seven games, Jonathan Taylor's averaging 22 carries at over six yards a carry. He is breaking everything analytics can tell you about when you should and how often you should run the football. I don't think that really changes this week. And Vegas has this game as, as a pretty close line. I think it's like a one point in favor of Arizona. If they were touchdown underdogs, I'd say, sure, fire up maybe more volume Wentz, maybe more volume Pittman. I don't think we see that this week. Yeah, real quick, like Jonathan Taylor's basically averaging Nick Chubb efficiency on like six to eight more carries per week. Yeah. And still like mixing in Derrick Henry, like Adrian Peterson style, like breakaway runs where he's getting into truly rarefied air running back. And I think the breakaway runs are key because like all the, I think in my opinion, a lot of the analytics stuff around passing and everything, like you're trying to maximize big plays. And if you can hit big plays with Jonathan Taylor, like, you know, it's like the nuance here is Jonathan Taylor can take it to the house on any given play. And he's like, so good. He's not just like a pure breakaway, like Charles Johnson type of runner. Like he could, he's actually, he's he's just a complete back. He's incredible. Yeah. You can, you can run a little bit more if you have Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. That's a really good, cause yeah, any given week you have a running back who scores like a 50 or 60 yard touchdown every other week. That's one of the biggest like weapons you can have in all of football. So. Yeah, it's great. And plus you have Carson Wentz as your quarterback and Carson Wentz Ooh, is, man. I mean, he can deliver big plays because he's decent as a deep passer, but he's so inconsistent. He's delivering big DPI calls this year. I don't know if he can really hit those passes anymore. Yeah. He, can, he can get the yeah. DPIs quickly on this game. Or, sorry, you finished crane. Sorry. I just wanted to make one point on the Pittman stuff. I agree with what Kyle said. It, it's not a perfect comp, but I think you can think about Pittman in kind of a like a Devonta Smith kind of way. Like, you know, it's like that's sort of the, the type of bet you're making when you dial him up. He's not as pure of a deep threat as Smith is. Pittman's has an 11.4 ADOT. He gets used in kind of a, a variety of ways. But at the same time, I think pretty similar in terms of he's like a, a decently efficient, but not hyper efficient number one option on a very, very run focused. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Give the gift of NBC Sports Edge Plus this holiday season. Get 15% off annual subscriptions when you use the promo code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. This offer turns to coal on December 31st. So visit NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus today. And remember, all of our premium tools for fantasy, DFS, and betting are included in one low Edge Plus subscription. Points bet as the Rams arriving in Minnesota as three-point favorites after outlasting the Seahawks at home on Tuesday evening. Crane, Sean McVay finally got Daryl Henderson back in Week 15, but it remains Sony Michelle with the backfield lead. Do we expect that to remain the case going forward? I think so. I mean, I think they basically liked what they saw with Sonny Michelle and they they gave the thing about it is like Michelle hadn't been particularly good in terms of all the rushing metrics I like to look at, but Henderson had been slightly worse in everything. So it's like, you know, we'll we'll let Michelle get some run. So I think it probably continues pretty similarly to what we just saw. I like this cut and dry too, because I think it is this cut and dry that this was a change they've been wanting to make. Daryl Henderson being injured kind of gave them an opportunity to try it. It's paid off about as expected. Why would they change it? So I think that's correct. Another weird situation, Kyle, with the Rams, not weird, but just kind of coin flip heads or tails situations, Odell versus Van Jefferson. Odell only had one catch on Tuesday. Van has caught only two passes in back-to-back games. You know, Odell had just come back from the COVID-19 list. Like, Where's the daylight right now between Odell Beckham and Van Jefferson? I think it'd be hard to find much of any daylight between these two players. We saw in the three games after Odell was added to the team, because his first game with the team obviously was a very short week. We saw after that, they had essentially identical weighted opportunity ratings. They were flip-flopping a handful of, you know, Odell would get a few more targets, but Van would be a little deeper down the field, essentially creating an equal amount of value between the two. I think that's probably how you have to proceed as them going forward. They have typically been an all three wider very often, at least like, league high three wide set and both players are pretty talented i still as i've said previously tend to believe that odell is the more talented of the two but the volume honestly doesn't even show that much of a a discrepancy assuming we are giving volume as a proxy for talent so i would lean towards odell beckham but that's simply out of my affinity for beckham i don't think you're making a strong bet either way except no there's not really a lot of of daylight between either of them they're facing by the way a vikings team that just hemorrhage receiver production they're still allowing the most wide receiver fantasy points so Hopefully a matchup that'll kind of get the non-Cooper Cup pass catchers back on track. But it's also weird. They're on five days rest <laughs> going from a Tuesday. And then it's like Christmas week. It's going to be like a hard week for the Rams to be super prepared for a road game, I feel like. It's a hard week for me to be prepared too, frankly. <laughs> hard week for all of us folks. <laughs> on the other side of the ball, Crane, or you go, Crane. 
Well, I just I want to make I think there's a little bit more daylight between Van Jefferson and Odo Beckham. I, I think Beckham has like a I, I just am much more comfortable betting on him. He's got a 19% target per route run since joining the Rams. Van Jefferson has a 15% target per route run this season. That's maybe a little unfair to Jefferson because he's had to deal with the Robert Woods target competition while Odo Beckham has not. But I just, I, you know, again, it's like not just the talent, but we're actually seeing like a sign that they might want to involve Beckham more than than Jefferson. Well, it's what we want to hear. Cause I, mean, I think we all secretly want it to be Odell. Let's just be real. Yeah. We all want it to be Odell. No, I openly want it to be Odell. No it's offense to Van Odell. Jefferson. It's just like the classic Odell. Is the, he's the one we've known and loved for years, Van. It's not personal. For all we know, maybe you're way better than Odell, Beck- Odell Beckham at this point, but we want Odell. You're not. Crane, what happened to Kirk Cousins? He's the QB 17 over the past three weeks. He averaged 3.6 yards per attempt against the Bears defense that was quite literally starting practice squad players on Monday night. Is this just a matter of Adam Thielen being out and hopefully being back for week 16 and maybe getting Kirk Cousins back on track? Or is this just the Kirk Cousins lifestyle where ever you're about to finally give the man props? He's just like, nope, I'm Kirk Cousins. Not actually good. It is actually quite like Kirk Cousins to do this. You know, as soon as you're like, yeah, you're because I remember I think it was he was going up against the Packers and I was like, this is going to be the spot he lets us down. No, he didn't let us down. And it's like when you least expect it is when he comes in and really lets you down. But I think overall, like probably the bigger problem here is Mike Zimmer in the sense that he kind of is always capping Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins has had a really nice year. Like overall in total, he ranks 15th in completion percentage over expected, which is, you know, pretty solid. And he ranks eighth in expected points added per play. So he's been really, really good. He ranks between Tom Brady and Kyler Murray in efficiency. That's pretty nice. So the thing that's tough with, with Cousins is that when he's really clicking, you're never going to get like the full, you know, Kirk Cousins experience. They're always going to be kind of limiting him a little bit. And then you also have the issue of, you know, when he's playing badly, he can get really gross because they, they'll go into a shell. You know, they've, they've been a negative pass rate over expected for the last three weeks. They're at minus 9% against the Bears. They're going very run heavy. As soon as they see any signs of him struggling, they're, they're going to go super run heavy. So it does create, you know, both a lower ceiling than we'd like and a lower floor. Ultimately, you want to play this through Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson is just dominating targets. Big yeah. same. And obviously, Adam Thielen is in play when he returns as well because he has that really nice red zone role. Adam Thielen, by the way, was reportedly not doing much at practice on Wednesday, but you can't really read into that. He's He could not do much for several practices in a row as they're just trying to keep him off his feet and then maybe return for week. Because it seemed like he had a shot maybe at playing week 15. So Adam Thielen, just be prepared for that one to go down to the wire. The Seahawks and Bears are two teams playing out the string on 2021 as they await inevitable big changes in the offseason. But Seattle remains the better team, as evidenced by this nearly seven-point spread via points bet. But despite that, Kyle, am I just wrong? Am I wrong that Justin Fields is the only truly interesting player in this game? And am I right to ask if he can be streamed for the fantasy semifinals? I mean, from the Bears' side, you've got 
Dave Montgomery, that's perfectly fine. Darnell Mooney even has just massive target share, massive air yard share numbers. And like this, when is this? Uh, sorry to interrupt you. When hit a big game with Darnell Mooney, Justin Fields, would it kill you? I mean, Andy Dalton did it twice pretty easily. I was, to, I was Andy Dalton threw a screen pass. I mean, I mean, yeah, put throw him screens. I mean, let him make a play, do something. You got the screens have to be called. Exactly. Make a play or do something. Do something. This is this feels personal. Anyway, sorry, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> this it we is, went it from is. it's not personal Van Jefferson to it's very personal Darnell Mooney. <laughs> no, no, it's personal with Justin Fields because it's personal with Andy Dalton. It's personal with Matt Nagy. We all have a personal. Personal with a lot of people. Else. This is personal to everyone on the Bears. Let's just be real. It's personal with the. Bears. It does feel personal with the Bears. Yeah, I mean Justin Fields, a perfectly fine streamer, averaging something like nearly eight eight carries and and fifty some odd yards per game in his past five contests, and that includes one game where he played like half the snaps and then got hurt. So. I think it's very clear that just based on that alone, you can call him Taysom Hill or I don't know. Tyler Huntley's good. I don't know if you can call him Tyler Huntley, but any of the, uh, you know, morass Cam Newton, you can call him Cam Newton. Right. And I mean, if they are going to continue losing, they at least have some decent chance to get in some pass heavy games. Does that result in a lot of sack fumbles that don't actually produce points? Sure. Those are also going to happen. But like, imagine if Daniel Jones ran the ball even more. Yeah. Like perfectly fine. Low end QB one. Don't watch it type of quarterback. And because you're not watching it, don't watch Darnell Mooney, but he does have pretty dominant target share and air yard share numbers. I actually think that's a little unfair to Jason Garrett <laughs> to use the Daniel Jones comp because he was calling design runs for Daniel Jones. That's actually pretty fair. Yeah. Daniel Jones gets a lot used to get. Yeah, it was Matt Nagy. Runs, but... So by the way, Justin Fields finished as a top 10 quarterback in week 15, but it was also because he threw a touchdown to Jesper Horstead as the clock literally ticked out on the game, it was the, the garbage time touchdown to end all garbage time touchdowns, basically. But he did get there. And now Bill Lazor should be back calling plays after spending week 15 on the COVID-19 list as the Seattle Seahawks. So I think you can stream Justin Fields this week and feel reasonably good about it. Even with Matt Nagy, he still got the seven or eight rushes finally on Monday. Yeah, the thing is he... But I think zero designed, right? I don't know if it was zero designed, yeah, but like zero he design. went from averaging, like, I think like a quarter of a design run his first four or five starts to like one and a half. Like they gave him one every now and then. I just frankly look like, it looks like he's more comfortable scrambling, making it on his own, even if that doesn't really involve the coaches supporting him at all. I think he's just breaking from the mold of, I have to throw everything yeah. from the pocket to... At this point, I also have to run sometimes where he wasn't even scrambling in his first few starts nearly as much as we thought. But no, Crane, you're totally right that they still are really not upping his design runs that much. It's up versus the beginning of the year because he literally had more design runs as a non-starter in his first three or four starts. But outside of that, like, no, they're still treating him like you would treat like Mahomes gets, you know, one or two design runs on like RPO stuff every now and then. But that's about it. He just now is comfortable scrambling, it appears. Yeah, I got to be honest. I think I would probably be calling more design runs for Justin Fields, who looks kind of like a cross between like Kyler Murray and Cam Newton in the open field. Like he's got some of that yeah. Newtonian power and some of that Murray quickness. And yeah, I feel like you should maybe dial up a couple, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten design runs for Justin Fields. This situation always baffles me because Matt Nagy's getting fired. Everyone knows it. I know. Like literally everyone knows it. So why wouldn't you like try just throw some stuff against the wall? Because you're not, you don't have any incentive to protect fields at this point. Like just run him because you might be able to, you know, if they, if he somehow, if you unlock a new gear or something, maybe, you know, there's like 5% chance you keep your job. But 
I don't understand it. You can you can dial up reasonably safe design runs too. I mean, just get him outside, get him heading towards the sideline where he can usually avoid a big hit. And like just do something. You can you can both you can have a little regard for his safety on the design run. I had no regard at this point. I mean, if you're not Nagy, just you know, just don't. every every run you got. If Nagy was truly in that like DGAF, like like senior year style, he'd be starting Andy Dalton. You know he would. I think because Andy That's Dalton true. right now is on the COVID list, he's like, That's I just true. come on, get off, buddy. Let me get you two more starts. <laughs> That's true, but that's because he's Matt Nagy. I just oh, yeah. I would agree with that because he actually targets Darnell Mooney ten times a game. So free Andy Dalton. Oh no. You're 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 Dalton over Fields. No, I mean I'm actually not like Fields. Monday night, even when it was kind of pretty poor performance, he just still had flashes like pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, how can you not unleash this guy more? Like he just looks ready to explode, and it's just I don't think I don't I I don't think it's a situation where like the fantasy community, the hashtag internet, like is like tricking itself into thinking they know more than Matt Nagy. I just think they do. And that he's just being obstinate and foolish with the way he's using his quarterback. That and seems pretty clear. That'll be revealed even more next year once he's been fired. Tyler Lockett, hopefully back for the Seahawks. I don't even know what we're supposed to say about this because he hasn't been officially activated yet. He is vaccinated. It seemed like they thought there was a chance he would play on Tuesday. But if he's back, Kyle, safe to put him back in the top 20. And do we keep DK Metcalf in the top 20? Like Russell Wilson seems to have like taken some oath or vow to not have DK Metcalf be a wide receiver one this year. Yeah. I mean, when Russell Wilson returned DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett running pretty much even up until Lockett's final game on targets and similar on air yards as well. They were splitting the work. I think actually before Lockett's final game, Metcalf was up by like two targets. The only problem is as favorites against a really bad bears offense, like, Man, this feels like Penny's getting 20 carries, even if he's averaging three yards a carry. It just doesn't matter. And he's also played fine. It's just that even if they aren't efficient, this is a a run, run. And you know what? Third down, let's punt anyways, like type of offense. So I I really feel like you are banking on trying to connect one of five targets for a long touchdown, which Russell Wilson can still give you. Even in their slumps, they had some big plays, but like we know what they want to do in this game. And it doesn't involve more than 20 pass attempts. Well, should honestly, like as annoying as it is, is that how they should be playing at this point? Because no, Russ was no. throwing wounded doves on Tuesday night. Russ does not look right. And I, one of the questions I was asked, so he's at zero three touchdown performances and six starts since returning. His high for yardage is 260. And part of that is the usage, of course, but he's not hitting these deep balls. Like at all. They, they are dying down the field, which we have never seen from Russell Wilson before. And I kind of have a hard time believing like the finger is not an issue. I'm just wondering, yeah, if if actually they're right to be going run heavy right now. Because I just, I thought that was a really brutal, like tough watch performance from Russell Wilson on Tuesday night. I mean, the game before that, though, he balled out. He had like a plus 14% CPOE. Yeah. And the three games before that were bad, but it seems like it has to be at some point, if you are capable of these high ceiling performances, you're probably just back to normal or if not it doesn't matter because you're not getting a high ceiling performance versus like the Rams defense with Rashad Penny right so you should be going for that anyways so I don't think so I think even if he is at less than 100% we know he is capable of massive ceiling performances in terms of his overall efficiency does that get paired with volume it never does but we saw it two two weeks ago so I still think he's most of Russell Wilson and even if not beyond this year like is no one has per like proclaim this to be a long-term issue i think once he leaves seattle can we get russell wilson throwing more than 30 times a game 
he will be incredible as, as a Denver Bronco. <laughs> or Denver Bronco. Or what were some of the other rumors? The Bears were. Chicago was one of them. Yeah, right? the Bears yeah. used to be a rumor. I'm kind of hoping that's not the. Maybe Carolina will make a power move for Russell Wilson. He's got a few interesting places. If you, we when you dropped out, Crane. Yeah, we, we, said we were mentioning Denver. Denver yeah. Uh, yeah. You go, Pat. Well, I, I did want to say on DK Metcalf. Well, a couple things on this whole thing. They, if you've got a situation like even if he's struggling, even if Wilson is struggling with the finger, they're not, they're not setting him up for success. They have a minus four percent pass rate over expected. Wait, that's I've got the wrong thing there because my internet's broken. Let's make it up. It'll sound true. It'll sound right. It'll sound true. Yeah. No, it's actually, well, I was giving them too much credit and I knew that's as soon as I said, I knew it was wrong. They had a minus 10% pass rate ever expected on first and 10 last week. And so the problem with that, right. It, it's like, you can kind of watch a game and, and see it. It's like, you're setting Wilson up to be in a tougher spot. Like if you, if you're worried about his deep ball, which is like kind of his superpower, if anything, like take more chances on first down, set him up, you know, when the defense doesn't know it's coming, if you're worried about the deep ball, don't force him in a position where he has to take shots where they know it's coming. If you're worried, his powers are diminished a little bit. Like it's, I mean, that's a really maybe good it's point. counterintuitive, but <laughs> it's, it's just bizarre that these teams, they're like, I'm, I'm less confident in my quarterback. Therefore I'm going to put him in tougher situations that's throughout a really, the game. Really, really good point. It makes no sense. So that's tough. And I think that's why, you know, it'd be so great to see him, with a coach who understands the way to maximize the passing game instead of runs for the hills anytime the passing game starts to struggle a bit, which is what Pete Carroll does. The philosophy of like, I know our quarterback is in a shaky spot, so let's make sure he's only throwing on third and 13 is not helpful. It hurts everyone involved. Yeah, and that's, you see that with the Jets, you see that with the Jaguars. You know, those teams are actually throwing less than expected this season despite throwing all the time because they're very rarely in, in positive situations, but they don't throw on first and 10, which is like the one, the only time often early in the game where the defense technically doesn't know if they're going to be throwing because for the rest of the game, they'll be trailing and being forced to throw. So when you see that, it's like, to me, it's just, you know, you're just setting the guy up for, for failure. And, it, and it's tough to, you know, blame guys like Trevor Lawrence fully for how bad the rookie season has been. And it's, just in Russell Wilson's case, very disappointing because we know how talented he is. And even if he is struggling with the finger, it's not going to be a long-term thing. To that point, DK Metcalf, he has an 8.0 yards per target, which is bad. And it's extremely bad for how deep he's being targeted downfield. He's got a 13.4 ADOT. So when you look at a, you know just that poor of a yards per target, it, it does kind of hide the opportunity that he's getting. He's getting targeted on 24% of his routes. He's get he's actually got elite volume this this season, and he had elite volume last week. He just had a four point zero yards per target last week. It was a, a disaster. So, I think that although Lockett definitely seems to have a stronger connection with Russ this season, the elite volume that we're getting out of Metcalf in terms of a target share is nice. Are we ever going to get it to the point where there's enough volume in the offense to make it make a huge difference? Maybe not. And it does feel a little bit to me like the uh, the Drew Dinkmeyer credo: What do you win when you win? Maybe not a lot with this because, like, even if you're right and he finally connects, it's still probably on five targets. Well, it's Pat, it's funny you mentioned the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Jets because Points Bet has a pick 'em for a 41 and a half total affair between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Jets and the Meadowlands. Kyle, I'm not really sure what to say about this game other than are we hopping on the pain train with Michael Carter? Like, is this just a committee, full-blown committee with Tevin Coleman? Or do we have anything to cling to with Michael Carter? 
Yeah, I mean, if you play in like a points per horrible start sit decision, you could definitely play Michael Carter. Otherwise, like, why would you possibly <laughs> play a committee back on the Jets, the worst <laughs> offense in football, and they're not throwing to Michael Carter because unless it's Mike White, Josh Johnson, or Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson is throwing throws that he has no chance of actually completing because he's playing horribly. Why isn't he taking the bunnies to Michael Carter? And they're not even using Michael Carter entirely on the third down roll. He only ran seven more routes than Tevin Coleman last week. They didn't use either of them a ton as receiving backs as evidenced by their targets. So if you're not getting targets, you're splitting the carries and you have no hope of getting into the red zone. What I can't imagine. I got so many questions about Carter on my live stream. And I like, I feel like the Seinfeld bit, like who are these people? Why are you like, this is the, I can't imagine who is playing Michael Carter at this point. You've lost every single game. Well, hold on, hold on here, Kyle. Cause he, he did out snap Tevin Coleman. It is. Oh, you're playing at a point. Hold for snap on. Lead. It is literally a pick them. Like, so we're expecting a close back and forth affair against a totally broken Jacksonville Jaguars team. But you're running back to your point has been getting a little deeper again in recent weeks where we got some like some bodies emerging out of the Titans backfield. Miles Sanders actually kind of beginning to pay off. Tony Pollard looking healthier. Devin Singletary's role getting a little bigger. Rashad Penny coming on the radar. So Duke Johnson even getting in the mix. So the, the need to like gamble on people like Chase Edmonds is back. The, the need to gamble on people like Mike Carter has grown significantly smaller. And I think your overall point is correct. Don't get it. I just can't even, <laughs> I can't wrap my mind around this. <laughs> well, that's a shame. Cause yeah, I'm probably gonna have to play him in a league or two, but uh, yeah, not feeling very good about it. Is there any other jet to even make a case for Crane? I mean, Jameson Crowder, not happening. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. I mean, Ryan Griffin's out for the season, by the way. I mean, so that means Tyler Croft season. Am I right, folks? You're not right. You'll be censured for this. <laughs> what about Tevin right. Coleman, by the way? No, stop. What about it. Tevin Coleman? Oh, oh, I actually feel that actually made me feel a little well, nauseous. We're going to move on to more fun players to talk about, like Laquan Treadwell. I hate my job. On the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is averaging. <laughs> Four and a half, you could round up to five. He's averaging five catches for 60 yards over his past four games. Is he the Jags receiver to play if you have to play a Jacksonville Jaguars receiver? You don't have to play a Jacksonville Jaguars receiver. I'm, I'm here to tell well, you. Well, let's just say you, you do. Uh, you do. You have to play one. Who is it? Dan Arnold. Designated to return this week. Could be back from the IR. Yeah. Designated to return. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it's, it's such a disaster, this whole thing. I, I need to read more NBC Sports Edge news powered by Roto World, apparently, because I've missed two facts. I've missed Dan Arnold and MVS. So, yeah, need to check out some more of our player news page, apparently. I mean, look, I'll give you the Laquan Treadwell stat. This is the stat of the week that I'm mentioning Laquan Treadwell in any capacity. This oh is this gosh. is what this is what the week has, has brought us to. He led the team with route rate last week, 95 percent, you know, I'm out there all the time. He has for the season a 1.42 yards per hour run, which is both terrible and leads all Jaguars receivers. That's where we're at. <laughs> Technically not all receivers receivers because Dan Arnold, the guy I thought at the beginning of this, actually does lead the team with 1.61, but no wide receiver has a higher yards per hour run than Laquan Treadwell. Dan Arnold, you know, that's honestly who I'd play if he gets back. Well, if Arnold's back, are you playing Arnold or O'Shaughnessy? I'm playing Arnold. O'Shaughnessy has a 1.26 yards per out run. That's Oof. that's in line with 
mostly in line with with his target profile. He's run a little bit cold on yards per target, but he's only run. I mean, I think the bigger concern with O'Shaughnessy is that he ran around on 57% of dropbacks last week. He's at 62% for the season. He's not getting that full-time role that Arnold had. So he's also, yeah, I, I'm just, I don't know. Why are we talking about the Jaguars? This, this... Yeah, and I'll say this game is actually, the there's. I don't think we've had a game all season with less to talk about. It's James Robinson. Yeah, this game. he played James Robinson. And nothing else. And it's also the first pick I've seen all year, by the way. Like a, a real deal pick Because even Vegas is like, ah, Well, this man. this total seems like too high at 41 and a half. <laughs> yeah, Pat, you called it not Pat. You said a back and forth affair. Not every game that just features a close spread is a back and forth affair. This will be a punter's paradise, and that's about it. Well, James Robinson should have a really nice game, right? I mean, the Jets defense stinks. It's so bad. I, you know what? Honestly, the Jets defense just brought back Duke Johnson. If you want to know about the Jets defense, I just talked myself into Marvin Jones because the Jets allow a ton of deep passes. Oh. So. If no, we're, we're no, going to play a Jaguars receiver, no. give me Marvin Jones. Right. Let's go. We got to end this game. We got to end this game's discussion right now. We are headed down the backstretch of the NFL season. And the NBC Sports Predictor app, powered by PointsBet, has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It's free and easy to play. So predict what will happen between the football team and the Cowboys this Sunday for a chance to win. Download today from your app store. Or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Sorry, I just had to get us out of the gym. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, obviously don't play Marvin Jones. That's terrible advice. <laughs> You're a hero. You're a hero. Don't play, obviously play Visca. Don't, don't do that either. Just play James Robinson and go oh, no. get out of there. <laughs> play Michael Carter. No. Points bet as the Chargers arriving in Houston as formidable nine-and-a-half-point road favorites. The story of this game's life is Austin Eckler's health and – Crane, I was hoping by this point in the show we might know a little more about it, but we still don't. Where It was reported on Monday he was going on the COVID-19 list. He never actually made it there. He tweeted Wednesday afternoon, like, thank you for all the thoughts, and didn't, like, say why he was appreciative of the thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not good. <laughs> was, oh. The exact tweet was, appreciate everyone who has reached out prayer emoji. <laughs> so it didn't really clear anything up. No. And – we're probably by the time you listen to this podcast, there will be an update on Austin Eckler. We just don't know if Austin Eckler plays. He's a top five running back still. If Austin Eckler doesn't play, Pat is Justin Jackson live against after finally having a pretty good game last week and playing a hellaciously bad Houston Texans defense. Yeah, there's like these situations in fantasy where when the guy that we are excited about gets pulled out, it doesn't necessarily leave behind much fantasy value. And I think the Chargers are one of the best examples of that, where like they just, it's not, Justin Jackson is not a one for one replacement for Austin Eckler. And they're going to use Joshua Kelly. I mean, what, it's Roundtree still in the mix? Like it, he's probably going to yeah, be, he's active. healthy scratch last week. Yeah. He'll be up. He plays for the Alloways. Yeah. Now. He'll be up if, yeah, he will be up if Austin. Eckler exactly. And, and like the thing that about Austin Eckler this year that's been so awesome is that he's finally been used around the goal line. He finally has a lot of touchdown equity. So you can't even say like, oh, Justin, Justin Jackson is going to get that receiving role. He'll get most of that work. But you would imagine that either Kelly or Roundtree is going to get the touchdowns. So it all just kind of splits up, breaks apart, and, there's not really a ton of value. I, I think Justin Jackson still remains the most interesting because he could always score, you know, on a short reception or happen to be the guy when they get close to the goal line. It's on the field and he has the receiving role. So I do think he's the most interesting, but 
definitely a big, big downgrade from a fantasy perspective and in a real life perspective from Eckler. And yeah, the thing is, our show is being taped at basically the exact wrong time to have an Austin Eckler update. By the time you hear the show, we will know whether or not he practiced. If he doesn't show up on the practice report Wednesday, that that means he's on the COVID. Okay, he was. We're getting a comment that he was DNP. He was DNP. All right, so. That's unconfirmed from one of our Twitch listeners, but we thank you very much for the update. And you will know for certain if you're listening to the show. Hollow Man. That sounds, you know. Shouts, shouts <laughs> to the Very Hollow trustworthy Man. screen name. So. Are, aren't we all shouts Hollow Man hollow, at this point? Shouts to the Hollow Man. So yeah, he didn't practice. And <laughs> anyway, he's tweeting the prayer emoji. So I mean, not hopefully he's doing all right. That's interesting. How high then on the other side of the ball, Kyle, for Brandon Cook's Back-to-back 100-yard games. The Chargers just got... Pat, no, 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 Pat. I'm going to stop Stop you. You're going to hate this. You've missed a COVID news, although this was literally a few minutes ago. Brandon Cooks, how high would be wide receiver uh, 156? He's not playing. Well, it's not true. He's not not playing. He was added to the COVID list. He is reportedly vaccinated, but that means he has to test negative. That means he has symptoms. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, vaccinated players don't go on as close contacts anymore. I don't believe they only go on as testing. Positive. For high-risk contacts, they do. Okay, all right. But yeah. it, uh, these players typically, ha- I mean, it's I, I can't name a time where a player's gone on the list and then come off before their game, although the rules are slightly different now. I don't think we'll see him. You could pick up Nico Collins, but there's a reason Nico Collins has hardly produced all this year. He's, he's not that good, and his offense isn't that good to support a, hardly a top receiver. So, no. And would it even surprise me if, like, Chris Conley went out and got the most targets. No, there's so much ambiguity that has so little upside, frankly, that like assuming Cooks doesn't play, they're the Jets. You can write them off. Don't play a single one. By the way, uh, yeah, the the Brandon Cooks news dropped 10 minutes ago. So this This is not your fault. Yes. Actually, this is a sign that you are a good host, in fact, because you are not. This one is not my fault. Austin Eckler officially DNP on Wednesday, by the way. So, but it's weird because he's not on the COVID-19 list. So. Maybe he has a non. It might be a non. Yeah, he must have a non-COVID illness, which would be. That's just a bizarre situation. We just don't have all the information there. By the way, he's discovered a new variant within his body. By the way, Julio Jones practiced fully and is playing on Thursday night, so that's a wrench thrown into our AJ Brown talk. So what? He was ruled out with a hamstring aggravation. Cleared to play. He is cleared to play on Thursday, according to a little website called NBC Sports Edge. Well. I've discovered a new level of broken, which I am not yet. Ooh. And that level of broken would be playing Julio Jones this week after he re-aggravated <laughs> his hamstring injury mid-game. No thanks. That's Our crazy. podcast is finally taking on like the, insan- the dimensions of these past two weeks where it's like impossible to even keep up with what is going on. And I mean, I just wrote my only other note for this game was Texans backfield lol. Like Rex, I have a stat of the week on the Chargers wide receivers, which I thought lay it on us because that's actually way more fun to talk about than the Texans' backfield. Yeah, so yards per route run, if you look over the course of the season, Keenan Allen leads ever so slightly 1.94 yards per route run to Mike Williams 1.92. But that like early season divide is so stark for Mike Williams from weeks one through six, he was wide receiver 10 in yards per route run since week eight. Mike Williams is now wide receiver 42 in yards per route run. Man, oh man. That's just, what happened there? Like, why did... I don't know. Like, why did they make us think for four games he was a reborn, completely new player? And then they just stopped doing that? Maybe it's because he does things like drop back-to-back touchdowns like he did last Thursday night. But I really wish I knew why the Mike Williams facts 
that we have or the Mike Williams facts we have because it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it could be fun though if you know they play it like the Seahawks played it and they just they just throw bombs on the Texans. Maybe we get a Mike Williams game. That would be nice. Yeah, just give us a mic. Or, you know, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be a Jalen Guyton game. It's been like, a, there's been a lot and of those recently. It's been weird. Hey, well, I just, I'm going to go on my weekly Jalen Guyton rant. Like, he was such a good role player, situational deep threat last year. I just don't understand why it took them so long to go back to this well. For the record, though, he seems to be, he's a 1.02 yards per hour this year, which is like, God awful. Was he a good role? Well, I mean, someone's got to run wind sprints. I think it might be lower than last but, year. And I think he was the same player last year. This is like, like Marvin when Hall. You convert a pass to him. It averages like Marvin Hall is such a good yards, role, folks. That's all that matters. Yards per catch is just a really. <laughs> Zacchaeus is an elite role. Play. These like th- these are players who are on the field a lot with really good quarterbacks at times, and there's a reason that they show up once every ten weeks. It's because they are just out there. They just exist, floating into the ether, and sometimes a safety doesn't notice them. Well, and see, they weren't even trying. They weren't even taking That's any it. shots, and then all of a sudden, like, well, let's take some shots to Jalen Guy, and then lo and behold, he keeps catching forty-two yard passes. So that's I'm just saying you, I, like part of me does feel like it's a decent offensive design to just like we're gonna have this guy he's fast and we're just gonna run him deep every time and you'll forget about him like most most games you won't forget about him but every every third game <laughs> so to forget about him we'll get like a 60 yard touchdown out of it it's pretty sweet yeah it's really high yeah and if and assuming defenses aren't forgetting about him, it gives you five, six yards of cushion that a safety has to pull back on at a minimum. I know. I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. It's just I, yeah. I'm not buying Jalen. I mean, he's good. He's, he's not good. good. He's I, have not good. Back that, I have nothing to back that up over other than yards per catch, which is not a sticky statistic. He's fast. He's he's so, a fast player. He's fast. He's very very fast. We're not going to talk about the the show's too off the rails. We're not going to talk about the Texans' backfield. I mean, we can't introduce. Well, it's it's the run funnel. It's the run funnel. So you know. If you're holding your nose, you can. Is is Johnson out? No, but Rex Burkhead just has reassumed lead status. I don't think David Johnson's out. He didn't he spend some time on the COVID list, but then he played or something. I believe you are correct, Pat, in your read of that. So yeah, he's he's back. Yeah, they activated him from the COVID list on December 13th. Then he rushed six times for 24 yards on December 19th. That's like a season high in yards per carry for him, if I remember. <laughs> Yeah, that's big, big, big time performance. So yeah, don't flex Rex Burkhead even against because we've as we talked about the Chargers have actually stiffened against the run in recent weeks. So Rex Burkhead's 18 carries for 41 yards waiting to happen. Uh, yeah, I got to end the show. Yeah, I mean, 16 last week. We're basically slap happy at this point. So never been a better time to say you should have you should have ended it when I touted Marvin Jones. Yeah, that, that did like uh, spiritually that ended the show. What was the first thing we talked yeah. about? Like the very first sentence. That's felt like the right time to end the show. <laughs> Good point. It was talking about how Julio Jones isn't playing. And by oh, the end no, of the show, was. he was playing. Oh. So, yeah. That kind of week. So for Kyle, for Pat, I am the other Pat. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with part two of our week 16 preview on Thursday with myself, John Daigle, Matt Straup, and Denny Carter. If you're still alive in the fantasy playoffs, good luck this weekend. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll be back tomorrow. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, 
I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.